Body dysmorphic disorder is really a psychiatric disorder. It's not just, oh, I don't feel right in this dress or so. So, you know, people who basically don't have a life, people who lock themselves away, they don't go out. You know, their life is sort of lived in the shadows, literally. Some, it, it's, it's serious enough for people to stop going to work, stop going to school and just basically hide away. My name's Kate and welcome back to Keeping It Real, the podcast focusing a lot on body image this month. The concept of body image, the way you think and feel about your body, is a complex and layered beast, as we touched on in last week's Zempic episode. It's internal for sure, but it's also heavily swayed by external factors and opinions. Somewhere along the way, though, the line between body image and body dysmorphia became blurred. If someone complains about being fat when they're clearly not, it's become natural to brand them as dysmorphic, but it's not actually quite that clear cut. Body dysmorphic disorder is a dark, all-consuming mental health condition, a fixation or obsession on flaws in your appearance, flaws that are either minor or completely unseen by those around you. In this week's episode, we're joined by clinician and mental health professional Roberta Honigman, who specialises in body image disturbance. We're going to chat about the difference between body image and actual BDD, the symptoms, and what to do if you think you or someone you know is experiencing something similar. A heads up, we do touch briefly this week on suicide, so if that's not for you today, please just come back next week. We've also got some notes in the show notes and links on how to help. Now, please enjoy my chat with a delightful Roberta. All right. Thanks, Kate. Um, so I've worked with plastic surgeons, dermatologists, cosmetic surgeons for about the last 20 plus years. My background's in accredited mental health social work and I've just taken an interest in people who have body image issues. So body dysmorphic disorder is one aspect of all of those issues that I sort of meet with when I speak with patients. I speak to patients who are pre-surgery and post-surgery and pre-surgery is often with people who've had procedures already and there needs to be some sort of certainty that their expectations are going to be met by more surgery if they need it or if they want it. Do you ever see people, you know, before surgery and they haven't had anything and there was kind of some markers in their consult or is it typically that they have already had some? Well, most people will that I meet have had some either treatments or concerns about themselves. There are people who present that have never had surgery and they feel that uh, this is going to be the answer for them, that there's an aspect of their appearance they don't like and they're really focused on it and it's very negative and causes them a lot of distress, which is sort of the hallmarks of what body dysmorphic disorder is. And um, yeah, they will sort of be so distressed that they will want and insist on looking to have surgery to try and make themselves feel better. But at the end of the day, because BDD is a psychiatric disorder as much as a psychological condition, um, you have to be really careful who you allow into the world of surgery. Yeah, because obviously we know you through, we've either had patients who've come for consults and have been referred to you or even in that post-op journey what do those scenarios kind of look like I like I understand they'd have to show markers but what typically would they be for a surgeon to kind of be like oh I think 
this might be your case for Roberta. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, it's a worry, isn't it? Um, I suppose it's just an over-concern mm-hmm. with an aspect of their appearance that they really feel is um, like that they're really concerned about. And so it's the level of distress that they have that is often out of kilter or out of sync with really the deformity or the defect or whatever it is that they're seeing because it's a matter of perception it's a matter of what they're seeing through their mind's eye you can't dismiss it because they're experiencing it but you also have to be very sure that the surgery is going to address the issue and when there's psychological conditions there's a high likelihood of that not happening how did you get into that space? <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> a million years ago, I worked actually with people who had um, physical and emotional and intellectual disability. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite a few of them had had plastic surgery, which was reconstructive. And um, I think I got out of the public sector, you know, the old burnout syndrome. This was about 20 years ago. And I went to work with a plastic surgeon and that was just a bit of a sort of a oh well, I'm interested in that and it sort of developed from there because he's he's passed on now but he had an interest in in this as well and I was just sort of like you know it just happened serendipitously but I became very interested in the patterns I was seeing in the patients that I was able to speak with and he was very generous and allowed me to speak to most people good or bad and it really gave me an insight into what was happening and I thought well how does this happen and it actually was timed when I suppose cosmetic surgery and plastic surgery for appearance took off And so there was a space for people to be able to have a conversation with a neutral third party without being made to feel as though it was a sales job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know you talk, spoken about body image kind of as a general as what you're working with. So what makes body dysmorphia different? Like how is that actually defined? Look, it's, it's, I suppose in the books, in technical literature and also just books you read in the subject, it's, it's referred to as imagined ugliness. Mm-hmm. So it's people who really focus on an aspect of their appearance, whether it's their nose, their hair, their eyes, their, their skin, um, not necessarily always body shape. It's more about, you know, appearance, specific appearance. And they just become obsessed with the fact that there's something that they don't like and they believe that their life is suffering because they have this problem. And to an ex, you know, an outsider, more often than not, you can't even notice it but because they're so focused on it. And I think it's well and truly in the OCD spectrum, obsessive-compulsive disorder, because there's some compulsive behaviours that go with it. Um, I mean, obviously, you would assume with it could very easily go in tandem with uh, eating disorders or anorexia, but is there, like, things like OCD? Well, in... Like there's a, the Americans have got the, you know, the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual to sort of define all of the psychological conditions. And in that, initially it referred to it as the condition excluding eating disorders. So I see it as quite separate. Might be the themes that run through it will be similar and there's obviously going to have to be some aspects that tie in because it's an obsession. Um, I think that there are different 
triggers and different causes. Um, what I find is interesting, there's often a family history, not necessarily of body dysmorphic disorder or eating disorders, but there's a body image concern that runs through. And sometimes when you speak, if you're speaking to younger people, you'll hear in conversation, oh, my mum was really really upset about this, or my dad was really upset, or my mum never liked this. I'm not saying that it's always going to be the way, but it's interesting. Yeah. It's like a family culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I do think that's interesting as well, because I think kind of as a whole, if you think of body dysmorphia, people tend to go to like young, skinny women. And I do wonder if that's because we as a society are like, well, you're perfect. Like you're obviously seeing something wrong because that's what we're aspiring to type of thing. So I think I do think that there's something in that, that that's how we think. But can really anybody in your oh, experience? Yeah. Look, male and female, um, it can be triggered at puberty. Uh, it can be triggered by someone being teased, so someone who's less resilient or who's always felt shy, reserved, low self-confidence, there might be something that's said that just trips them into this over-concern with an aspect of their appearance, especially if they say don't like the shape of their nose and someone said, oh, you got a big nose, and then all of a sudden that becomes their life's mission to get rid of their big nose and... Um, yeah, that's the sort of thing. So it can happen at puberty when people are sort of changing and growing into their looks. You know, sometimes you see uh, I was young men will have their features develop at different stages. Um, and I think that that can be a time that will trigger it and sometimes a comment. The other thing that is really an issue now is social media. That is really kicking it on, you know, to the point where there's that whole defined thing of Snapchat dys dysphoria where, you know, they people take photos because they want to look like everybody else and then it's this take 16 photos, post one, and this sort of almost like a sort of a, uh, a quest for perfection yeah. but it uh, you lose the, you lose the plot yeah, yeah. you can't you can't do that um, yeah that's so interesting so then is it only because the triggers the fact that the triggers can kind of be external things kind of does differentiate it a well they can be yeah. but when you're looking at body image that's that's the mental picture you have in your own mind of how you see yourself and how you think other people see you. So it's the disruption of your sense of body image. So it's sort of on a spectrum. So you've got those sort of, oh, look, I don't really like the way I look today or I can't be stuffed or I'm tired. And then you've got right to the other where you've got, you know, oh, my God, I can't go out of this house because my, my eyebrow on the left is one millimetre higher than the right. I can't possibly, you know, leave the house because of my over-concern. There are also people who believe that um, people look at them because they think they're staring at the aspect of their appearance they don't like. And it, I've often said to people, well, how do you know they're not looking at you because they think they recognise you or they think, oh, isn't she wearing a nice dress or she's an attractive girl or I like her hair, but there's never any recognition for anything positive. Yeah. It's always that sense of negativity. Yeah, I think my friend came over the other night and was like, oh, just before you say anything, I know I've got a shine pimple, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, well, I know that I would be thinking that. And I was like, I think you might be projecting a little mm -hmm. bit. <laughs> there you go. Didn't cross my mind, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Well, there you go. I mean, most things, we, we've got so much going on in our lives. You don't sort of make it a habit of staring at people. Yeah. But if you, as a person who has those anxieties, have those anxieties, you will project that onto yourself, I think. And especially if they have been teased or something's happened where they've been really upset by a comment. Yeah. Yeah. I think body dysmorphia is one of those terms, kind of like narcissist or psychopath, where it's really moved into our everyday usage and kind of lost its meaning a bit. I think now it kind of just means if your friend took a photo that you think you look bad in and she doesn't think you look that bad, then like that's body dysmorphia. Oh, no, it's it's way beyond that because, you know, I mean – it's a psychiatric condition. It's not just a yeah. you know, bad day. Uh, so, you know, there's treatment for it, which is often antidepressants, specific antidepressants that are prescribed by a psychiatrist or could be a GP. If the diagnosis is made, it's often quite difficult to nail down yeah, the diet. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask because that kind of – and then, you, you know, you're kind of – talking yourself out of it as well maybe right because if everybody around you was concerned about what they're posting on social media you being concerned maybe not be like a red flag um i think and the way that we all talk about it so casually now does that make it a lot harder to kind of get a diagnosis well i think because there's so much um so many people who are going to cosmetic for cosmetic procedures Mm -hmm. that it becomes a bit blurred so Um, unless the practitioner is very aware of what the issues are that need to be addressed Mm -hmm. and have like a screening tool or something where you can make sure that you ask people specific questions. That's the trick. The trick is to be able to diagnose it because some of the comorbidities are depression. So, you know, it's a bit like chicken and egg. What came first? Are you depressed because of the way you look or are you depressed and therefore don't like the way you look? So you've got to try and sort of tease out and there are screening tools out there that will ask. Um, But, you know, behaviours like mirror checking, Mm -hmm. people who'll look um, at the mirror or any shiny object, even a back of a spoon or a car window or a shop window, because they want to just double check that the aspect of their appearance, what it's looking like, maybe it looks better in this light. I mean, I've spoken to people who've stood in a bathroom mirror and turned a light a specific way or opened the window to get the natural light and caught a bump on their skin and they're obsessed. It's there, therefore it needs to go. I'm not imagining it. And it it might just be something very small, but because they see it and they're conscious of it and they're ashamed of it, that will tip them into this, you know, uh, quest for surgery. It does. It feels so difficult because you'll have friends and you know that like if they they'll just have a massive explosion and they can't go out because they couldn't find a dress or they saw a pimple and you kind of like roll your eyes and you're like, Jesus, like must be tough in that head type of thing. But then it's like, you know, that kind of balance where you're like, you're supposed to look really good all the time. but You're never allowed to care that you look good or kind of strive for it. And then it's like get into this very murky area of being like, oh, what's kind of. I mean, none of it's healthy, but, like, what's normal and what's past. What are some markers that are, well, like... Bo- well, body dysmorphic disorder is really a... Dis- it's really a, dis- a, a, a psychiatric disorder. It's not just, oh, I don't feel right in this dress or so so. So, you know, people who basically don't have a life, people who lock themselves away, mm-hmm. they don't go out, they... Um, 
you know, their life is sort of lived in the shadows, literally. Yeah. Some it, it's, it's serious enough for people to stop going to work, stop going to school and just basically hide away. And they continually seek reassurance from family members and partners and friends. And I think that it's interesting that some of the most affected people are the family members because they have to put up with this. And, I mean, people who really do have extreme body image disorders to the point of d- diagnosed BDD do commit suicide. I have a, I've had a, a patient. She, she was beautiful. Yeah. And I worked closely years ago with a psychiatrist and, a, and there's a psychologist who'd been treating her. And no matter what was done for her, she just... She could not face the day um, and she couldn't face another day. So she, she killed herself and it was awful. Yeah. She's 21 and she was beautiful. Oh, God, 21. I mean, really, at the beginning of her life, it was yeah. terrible. So, you know, what happens? And you can understand because if you're going through that torment and it's just unrelenting... God, that's awful. Obviously, it, you kind of alluded to earlier as well, plastic surgeons and the very nature of the business is it's tough to kind of separate where people are. What is kind of the responsibility and the role of healthcare professionals? Look, I think one of the biggest things you need to do is screen people. Mm-hmm. You really need, and, and that doesn't mean saying no to people. You really need to understand what is the motivator behind this? Why are they seeking this surgery? What are their expectations of it? What do they think it's going to bring to them, not just physically, but emotionally, socially, psychologically? You know, are they doing it because they want to, and this is general, this isn't just BDD, you know, are the people seeking it for a problem that's an internal manifestation, you know, they don't feel good about themselves, or is it because they've got a partner who's left them or uh, they've lost a job and they're a little older and they feel now I can't get another job because I've got to compete with these, you know, hot numbers that are sort of 10 years younger than me, 20 years younger. So there's all sorts of reasons that people do it. The motivation then determines the expectation Mm -hmm. and if their expectations are not able to be met... And usually people have got a fair idea of what the, you know, especially health practitioners, of what those expectations might be. You really do need to then start to ask some questions that are not just medical and not just surface. Mm -hmm. Conversely, sometimes people will talk about having had anxiety or depression and a lot of people I'm asked to see have had aspects... episodes in their lives of that that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be a bad candidate Mm. there needs to be some clarity as to what's happened to them whether they've been on medication and also maybe they will need some counseling from someone for six months in order to sort of put it all into perspective and then revisit the issue of surgery rather than just racing in when it might not be the best um the best thing for them to do at the time yeah yeah yeah. are there any oh i guess We've really talked about symptoms that people would have that it has to be, you know. It's, it's really, it's, I think BDD, the issue is more the level of distress. Yeah. If they're really distressed about themselves, you know, more than you would say is normal mm. and they take, it takes up a lot of sort of valuable real estate in your head, yeah. you, you really have to start to think, well, why is it causing you that much? What, what's, what's behind it? And I think that's where it needs to be a bit more, need to be investigated more. 
And in terms of treatment plans, I know you mentioned earlier specific antidepressants. Is there other things in place? Look, there's, you know, CBT, cognitive behaviour therapy, where there's that sort of, you know, well, look, you know, try, walk to the post box, come back, see how you feel when you go out in the world. That's all right, but I think a person has to be very motivated Mm -hmm. to do that in order for that to be successful. I think because of the obsessive nature and intrusive nature of these negative thoughts, um, it's difficult to think that on a sort of on the surface you can just deal with it. You know, sometimes only, and sometimes I say this: medication can be helpful. I'm not a, you know, I'm not. I don't prescribe, so it's not my game. But it can be helpful in trying to push away those intrusive, obsessive thoughts. Because people get so overwhelmed sometimes they, when they talk about it, they feel they can't breathe. So you need to give yourself a bit of space. And I think some of the medications have been successful in doing that. Do you have anything you'd like to add or more you'd like to go into? So if you're seeking surgery, that's fine. I mean, there's, there's not as much stigma as there used to be. It used to be that sort of, you know, very secret thing and try and hide it. Um, but... You really do need, in order to be fair to yourself, to sort of take a step back and think, all right, this is bothering me. It's bothered me for a long time. Why? Why is it that it's bothering me so much? Has it been because someone said something? Or is it because, you know, ultimately you feel an outsider? You want to look like everybody else or you want to feel comfortable in a crowd? Um, You know, I see young girls who have big breasts and they want a breast reduction and as much as it's a medical issue because of their back neck and shoulder pain they also feel that they stand out and they don't feel comfortable and also people who have young people who have uh want to have no surgery you know they feel that they don't look like everybody else and they just want to fit in which has got pros and cons because sometimes it's nice to look like an individual um So, you know, you just have to really be careful when you're seeking surgery to seek out a surgeon who is empathic, who will listen to you. And if they hear you say things that they might feel are a bit of a trigger for them, um, to, to, you know, go with them. Don't, like, go with them in that talk to them. Don't try and hide it back because you think, "Uh uh-oh, I've been sprung. You know, you need to be honest because... If you're honest with them, they'll be honest with you. And I think it is more of a contract. You you can't go into a surgeon and expect them to work miracles because there is no such thing as perfection. You know, it's a good job, but it can be too many good jobs can be a bad job. Yeah. We had um, recently we were speaking to a woman who'd lost, I think it's around 100 kilos. So she'd had a, you know, everything in the kitchen sink because, you know, she had to get rid of all of this loose skin everywhere. And when I interviewed her on the podcast, she was like, oh, you know, I'm kind of thinking thighs, but I have to be like, mm-hmm. what am I doing thighs for? Mm-hmm. Am I ever going to be happy? Like I've gotten rid of all my excess skin and I can like run with my kids and I am I can walk around and I'm not covered in rashes. Is the thighs for that or is the thighs because I don't know when to stop? And so it's kind of having that like internalization and having people around you who you can trust to say that's enough um massively important yeah i think that you know 
when you go to surgeons, the, I find the ones who ask me to see people are actually ones that I'd actually go to if I wanted or, you know, a child of mine or somebody wants someone because you know that they're interested in the person yeah. rather than just the procedure. Yeah. And I think it's about, it's about you as a person. It's not just how you look on a certain day. Yeah, and I think also very important we've often spoken about being in that position to be able to say no. I think uh, like early on a lot of surgeons might be, you know, if they're trying to build up their portfolio or whatever it is, might not be as discerning, which is so terrifying to think about. But it's like if a surgeon is telling you no, then take that in good stead because it's not doing anybody a benefit. Like they don't feel better for it. They're not getting money. It's if if somebody is being like you at your current state, it's not necessary I would take it to heart. Oh, absolutely. And conversely, if they're very quick to put you in, yeah. oh, yes, I've got a spot tomorrow, yeah. that's not good either. You need to be able to have a couple of conversations, I think, with the surgeon um, and also perhaps their staff as to know what the procedure is, what the process is, what to expect, what to expect of healing, uh, what you can and can't do. So the whole, it's a process. It's not just a one-off thing. Yeah. If you liked this episode of Keeping It Real, please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, why don't you have a flick through our past episodes? We'd love to hear your requests for future topics. So send your suggestions through to us on IG at Replastic Surgery. That's all for today. And we'll catch you next time for another peek into the world of plastic surgery.